so when I started kind of developing a lot of stones, like, especially when like all my buddies were going out climbing, like, I'm just going to come with you and look for stones. And it kind of became my own, own meditative practice in a Mm -hmm. way. And it's just a very raw, it's just raw strength. Yeah. And that's something I've always been attracted to. It's just like the crazy, weird, raw strength that human beings are capable of. And welcome to the Audacious Health Podcast, where we dive into the wholehearted and imperfect cultivation of our own well-being and the health of our communities. No quick fixes, no shortcuts, just honest conversations to challenge and inspire you to maximize your potential right where you are. All right. Hi, friends. This is your host, Chauncey Carroll, and I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Jacob Pace. Jacob and I know each other from the climbing gym for many years now, Uh, but unlike many climbing gym rats, Jacob has also made a name for himself in the stone lifting world where he trains to lift huge, heavy rocks. He is a mental health advocate who is also a multi-instrumentalist and songwriter, writing, recording, and producing his own music. So lots of fun facts about Jacob. Uh, Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Um, I am really curious because I've never heard. How did you get into stone lifting? Okay. So it's kind of funny. So I have to give a little bit of a backstory to it. Yes, please do. It started kind of around COVID. I had hung up climbing, kind of swore it off. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I was just angry at the sport, angry at the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I took a break from athletics in general. Just oh, like okay. I wasn't training anything at all. I kind of started training boxing a little bit. I was like, I wanted to get into that. And then just like didn't click, you know. Um, and then I came back to the climbing gym, I think, early 2022 okay um wasn't really looking to train climbing again Mm -hmm. um and i i really didn't for i think 18 months okay (laughs) um so i kind of just kind of got a membership again um started lifting uh wanted to just get fit again and you know feel better mentally physically all of that um then last summer lifting got to the point where i was getting bored of just lifting for the sake of lifting Mm. I'm ultra goal oriented across the board. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm not, if I don't have a goal, I just get bored. I don't yep. want to do it. I understand. Um, so, you know, I was hitting some plateaus in like deadlifting, squatting, hmm. all that stuff. And I had heard about stone lifting prior to that a little bit. Um, so I started Googling about it a little bit here and there. And, um, I found a documentary by rogue fitness called oh. Stoneland. Oh. Um, and they go through the history of stone lifting in Scotland um, and how the, like there's historical stones all over Scotland that are still being lifted. Oh. Um, and it's a huge, huge thing out there. Yeah. Um, it's a massive thing for people's heritage. Oh, wow. And I think it's like a 45 minute documentary, 20 minutes in, I was like, I'm doing this. I gotta, <laughs> like, I gotta figure out how to start doing this. Okay. Started looking on Instagram. There wasn't a lot that I was finding stateside. And when it comes to stone lifting, I mean, it's all over Iceland. It's all over huh. Scotland, the Faroe yeah. Islands, all that okay. stuff. Wasn't really finding a whole lot of anything stateside. And I was like, it might be fun to try. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, shout out to the Instagram algorithm for suggesting pages to me. Yeah. A couple of guys in Utah. Um, there's okay. a huge stone lifting community out there. Huh. Um, so I started following them um, and then just started finding stones of my own and um, pulling stones out of random ditches that I thought <laughs> would be really cool to lift and throwing them in my truck and taking them home. And <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I have so many questions. So this is an... <laughs> Is this like an official sport or like, I guess, what would you describe it as? Are there competitions for this? Um, there are kind of competitions here and there. It, it really started taking mainstream um, kind of momentum mainstream wise with um, like strongman competitions. Yeah, you have like the Atlas Stones. Of, right. um, and that's kind of where, um, you know, traditional stone lifting kind of developed into Atlas Stones. Okay. As far as natural stone lifting competitions, there's not a lot. They do stone lifting in the Highland Games, mm. but it's typically a type of stone called the Denny Stone, which is basically these two stones with hooks on them. And basically, so the original Denny Stones were used as counterweights for uh, masonry work. Okay. So to hoist up, you know, uh, sure. stones for making bridges, uh-huh. buildings, all that stuff. Yeah, there's the there's the two Denny stones, the original ones. They're 733 pounds combined. Whoa! The goal is to get those off the ground. Okay. Um, for the, like X amount of time. time. Yeah. Okay. And there's not not a lot of people who have lifted those. I, I, I like, can imagine. It's like under 300 people ever have lifted yeah. them. Wow. Um. So that's that's in like the traditional Highland Games. Um. I know some stuff stateside has that. Um. There's the Shaw Classic Strongman Competition. Mm. They do a, a Denny type um competition as well okay um but as far as like natural stone lifting competitions in and of itself no there's not sure not a lot that goes on there yeah i mean it kind of makes sense it's like this gritty you know get your hands dirty mm-hmm. kind of thing and so that sometimes that's like anti-sport you know yep. kind of uh, yep. mentality um like let's not be in the gym let's just like go lift heavy stuff outside yeah yep. so that's cool um i did see that you do it seems like you name a lot of the stones yeah. And are those like, are you giving your own names to those or are the, is there like a certain stone name for a certain weight? Um, so I give my own names to them. Um, traditionally, uh, especially in, in Europe, most stones are named after like, especially in like Scotland, Ireland mm. are named after a clan. Okay. So there's like the McGregor stone um, or they're named after a region. It's a bit different stateside. Um, people kind of just essentially name them the same way we would name like rock climbs uh-huh, okay. you know um like there's one stone down in newland creek called the saint stone and okay. that i named that out of joking that if i ever became a saint in the church <laughs> i hope i would be the saint of stones oh okay. so I'm like, okay like let's call it the saint stone uh-huh um sounds epic yeah and there's like you know some of them are based on on shape like there's one another stone that i developed uh, it's called the bear tooth stone it's just super sharp super jagged and i was okay. like okay kind of looks like a like digs into yeah. your skin oh yeah bit. <laughs> i was like so there's that and yeah kind of just have fun with naming them and don't yeah. take it too seriously that's super fun yeah. well and i think it's also cool it's like it sounds like there's not really anyone else in colorado mm-hmm. doing it so you are like pioneering yeah. stone lifting and i just feel like colorado seems like the perfect place for some kind of sport or community to develop yeah and that was that was something that i was really i was kind of baffled by when i started looking into stone lifting you know, because Utah came up immediately. Uh-huh. A lot of the guys out there, there's like, you can download a Google map of like all the stones. Oh, wow. with their there's, They have pictures of them on there and like oh, weights. Cool. I was like, that has to be something here in Colorado. Right, you'd think so. And I couldn't find anything. Wow. Um, so kind of based on research, I'm one of 
four stone lifters in Colorado. Wow. Um, there's three stones developed up in Boulder, like the the West Boulder area. Okay. But other than that, like I'm kind of yeah down here pioneering and that's awesome. you know people kind of give me weird looks when i'm off of hiking trails <laughs> digging through There's, piles yeah. of rocks to see if you know anything looks fun to lift but uh it's it's really interesting it's, it's a lot of fun i actually just had a guy message me on instagram he was uh coming here to do some 14ers from texas and he's like hey like shoot me a couple of pens for stones like i want to oh wow try my hand at it cool which was really cool to yeah so is that what you mean when you say like develop that means like you're digging up the stone Mm -hmm. and you're like pinning it and so that other people can come and try it basically yeah and it's gonna stay in the same spot yeah um and that's the that's a really big thing emphasized in um in stone lifting is like don't move the stone Mm. leave it where you found it Uh just be respectful about it sure Um, because there's actually been a lot of stones in the uk that have been like historical stones that have been broken or misplaced from you know, people being disrespectful and not, uh-huh. um, not taking it seriously. Sure. So that's something that's kind of emphasized, but yeah, it's like developing it. It's very similar to developing a boulder, you know? Yeah, sure. Using your steel cleaning brushes and cleaning it. it. And, huh. um, it's interesting cause stones definitely have their own, their own beta. Okay. Like there's a certain way of like, you have to find where the stone has a tendency to roll. Oh. Where is it balanced? Okay. Um, what feels the most secure to grab like it's just it's yeah it's a very intricate sport that's super um, cool yeah those are things that i never considered i'm like oh it just looks like you just beast it off the ground however mm-hmm. possible but there's real strategy yeah, to it there is for sure <laughs> so like if i was gonna go try to pick up a heavy stone what do i what are like some of the basics that i need to know yeah i mean really i think the biggest thing is learning how to engage hamstrings mm um, hamstrings and hip flexors. Yeah. That was something that I was not expecting when I started. Um, that feels kind of different than a deadlift, would you say, or is it similar? It, it feels the, what feels the most similar is it feels like a deficit deadlift. Okay. Um, cause a lot of times you're almost completely straight legged, Uh um, having to reach under, you know, under the stone on the ground and figure out how to load it right. Yeah. Yeah. I think glute engagement, hamstring engagement Mm -hmm. and not being, too too picky with your posture <laughs> okay yeah because i mean stone lifting the the technique looks like it's terrible for you yeah <laughs> and i've never felt bad from doing it okay you know i get more i get more soreness from deadlifting and sure staying strict than i do from stone lifting but interesting a lot of people are that's the first thing I point out is like, you're going to have back issues. Yeah. Or, you know, well, I'm sure like if, if you develop a baseline of mm-hmm. strength in your training, mm-hmm. then as you learn the technique, maybe you like, do you start with lighter rocks to yep. kind of learn the technique and yep. then you kind of go up from there? Yep. Definitely. Yeah. What does like your training look like for this? Yeah. Oh man. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, it, it's hard because like I had mentioned the, the stones are not balanced, mm-hmm. you know, it's, Sure, it's not round. Yeah. Necessarily. <laughs> exactly. And it doesn't like deadlifting does not transfer to stone lifting very well. Okay. Um it does in just technique wise. Yeah, in the in technique wise, like purely strength strength wise, yeah. obviously it'll it'll help. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, the, really the only way to get good at stone lifting is lifting stones. Okay. Um I do a lot of sandbag work as well. Oh yeah, sure. Um I have a I have a two hundred pound sandbag that all work on getting to shoulder i usually do like three sets of 10 to shoulder with that thing wow um and just like 
working on carrying it around the yard as far as I possibly can. Um, nice. That's when it, and then I have a bunch of stones at home that I, I work with. And then in the gym, I do a lot of uh, lower back work, mm. um, back extensions, a lot of hip thrusts, zercher squats are another big one that mm. transfers into stone lifting really well, especially trying to stand with the stone. Sure. Yeah. I, my main focus is uh, I, I kind of just do full body most of the time yeah, when I'm training. I, I'm sure lifting a huge stone like that is full body mm-hmm. though. It's everything. It's your biceps. It's your chest. It's your core. It's your hips. It's like yeah. everything. Oh yeah. And the... Something I, I never anticipated when I started was the amount of forearm work that I had to do. Oh, yeah, sure. Because um, it's like, you know, similar to climbing, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we're engaging the exact same muscles, mm-hmm. um, especially in the forearms. And like learning to learning to actually like squeeze the stone and not just let it sit there. It's like when you're, when you're weightlifting, you kind of just like you get your grip right, yeah. you know, deadlifting, and it's, the bar is just kind of there, mm-hmm. especially if you're not doing anything super heavy. But this felt so much more similar to um, engaging in the same way I would climbing. Okay. Um, Interesting. Which I had, you know, it was beneficial for me to kind of realize that, especially coming from such an extensive climbing background. Mm-hmm. I knew how to train the forearms. I knew how to train the grip. Yeah. Um, doing hangboard work. Um, a lot of, like, pinch block work. Mm-hmm. Just oh, to, yeah, that would make sense. Just to you know, get the forearms to where they didn't feel injured every time I oh, lifted gosh. stones. <laughs> Just literally like rustling a rock off yeah. the ground. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's very, very similar to climbing in that way. And the training, doing a lot of lat work, um, a lot of just like upper and mid back. Overall, like just having a bulletproof back is the most beneficial thing you could, could do for stone lifting. Sure. Makes um, sense. But as, as far as like structured training goes, I kind of I'm one of those guys that kind of just go into the gym and whatever isn't sower, I work it. <laughs> yeah. And if sure. it is mildly sower and I still need to work that muscle, I'll work it. Yeah. So, um, that's yeah. cool. And then you're still climbing a little bit. Yeah. Here so, and there. So yeah. Is that kind of just like when it sounds fun and not, and you're not super sore or yeah something? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of the, uh, it's kind of like the active rest day activity. Yeah. It's honestly. your accessory exercise yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since I've put on quite a bit of weight from weightlifting um, compared to when I was climbing. Yeah. Uh, when I was climbing exclusively, I was like 162 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm around 185 now. Yeah. Um, so climbing feels very different. Yeah. It feels like I can, I'm a completely different person now. Sure. Um, so, yeah, climbing is kind of just the accessory. Um, and I do it more for, yeah, it's just more for fun rather than sport. Yeah. Um, whereas I used to just train it full bore and that was it. So uh, how do you weigh the stones? So I use a heavy duty cargo net. Oh. Um, it's like a four foot by four foot cargo net. It's basically like made out of like seat belt material. So it's really heavy duty. I lay that on the ground. I'll roll the stone onto it. Um, and then I use like a industrial hanging scale. And oh, like a, okay. a small like lat pull down bar. And okay. I'll just basically like zercher squat with it and have somebody take a picture of what the weight is. Oh, I'm sure okay. there's more efficient ways of doing it, but that's kind of the way I figured <laughs> no, out how that, to do it. That's, not, that's super smart. I was just picturing like bringing in your little home scale, like rolling it onto the yeah. scale outside, <laughs> but that makes way more sense. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to kind of, to, to lug around because nothing too heavy. Sure. Cause um, you're kind of backwoods sometimes for yeah. these stones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the that was one of the biggest challenges when I started was kind of figuring out how I was going to weigh them. 
because that was the initial thought was like I'm just gonna bring like a, a regular <laughs> yeah. scale with yeah. me and try and roll it on there, but uh-huh. um, that didn't seem very efficient. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I love that there's like this ethos to this sport or whatever we want to call it of like, yeah, it is kind of cool because it, it's outside you know, backwoods, like no gym, no lights, like mm-hmm. just you and the rock. And mm-hmm. like, we're going to keep it here because that's, it's like where it belongs. And yeah. it's like, just seems like this cool mesh of you and nature. Yeah. And that's, that's something that really was attractive about it to me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I enjoy lifting in the gym, mm-hmm. but at times it just gets to the point where it's just tedious. Yeah. Like, I just want to be outside. Like the weather is really nice. So when I started kind of developing a lot of stones, like, especially when like all my buddies are going out climbing, like, I'm just going right. to come with you and look for stones. And it kind of became my own, own meditative practice in a mm-hmm. way. And it's just a very raw, it's just raw strength. Yeah. And that's something I've always been attracted to. It's just like the crazy, weird, raw strength that human beings are capable of. So starting stone lifting was very... It seemed like a very natural progression for me. Yeah, I just, I love it. It's one of my favorite things I do. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by it because, yeah, it's like if I think, oh, I want to lift weights, I need to go into the gym. And if I want to, like, do cardio, then I have a lot more options because I can go outside and Mm -hmm. hike. But I'm like, well, I could actually go lift outside. Yeah. There's tons of rocks everywhere in Colorado. Oh, absolutely. And I don't necessarily, I don't think I could ever lift a huge, like, boulder (laughs) like you do, but... um, I think that just makes lifting so much more accessible. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to go buy dumbbells. You just like pick up a rock. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's great. I love it. So what, do you have any like stone lifting goals in mind for the next year or, or, or five years? I do. I think more long-term. So like five years, um, I would like to take a trip out to Iceland. Mm. Um, there's one stone in particular called the Husafell stone and it is 409 pounds. Whoa. Um, and the goal to for that lift is specifically to get it to chest and walk around a old sheep pen. Oh wow! With it in your arms without putting it down. Oh my gosh! So not um, just lifting it, but actually carrying yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that stone is actually where in like strongman competitions uh-huh. they got the shield carry from. Oh, okay. Um, so that's that's like a lifelong goal. Uh huh. Um, there's not been a lot of people who've been able to you know, do the full walk around the sheep pen. Yeah. A lot of people have lifted it and uh-huh. gotten it off the ground, which is a feat in and of itself. I mean, yeah, seriously. 409 pounds is oh a lot of gosh, weight. That's a lot. It's, <laughs> it's, that's a lot of weight. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the long-term goal. Um, yeah. And I would like to get out to Scotland and try and lift some historical stones there. Um, I follow a guy on Instagram. He's finding all of these historical stones throughout Ireland. Mm. Um, stone lifting culture basically died there in like the 1600s, I think it was. Okay. Um, and he's gone around over the past two years looking for all of these historical stones. He's found like 20 of them. Wow. Um, so I'd love to go out there and lift those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's the more of the long-term goal. And then in the next year, I'd like to get out to Utah um, okay. and, and try my hand at some of their heavy stones out there. Yeah. So. And then sounds like you'll just be developing the Colorado... Mm-hmm stone lifting in the meantime yep so yeah do you just like make an appointment for those kind of things or how does that work you just walk up and find it they have yep walk up and find it it's just open Mm -hmm. that's cool um there's there's a few stones in iceland i think they're in somebody's front yard or something like that they're like on somebody's (laughs) private property or Uh however it works but there's like yeah just check in with basically just roll up and 
pick it up, leave it where you found it, and yep. go home. <laughs> yeah, I love that because it's not like you're making a big impact. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like kind to the land. Yeah, exactly. And so. that's another thing that is very important to me and very attractive to me about the sport is just like the overall general respect for the land and for mm-hmm. the stones. And not not talking trash, but it feels a bit more respectful than climbing in a lot of ways. Sure, yeah, because um, we know. put chalk on it, we put bolts in the wall, but yeah. like you're maybe besides digging it up a little bit, mm-hmm. like you're basically leaving it as you found yep, it. Exactly. And there is this ancient history to it, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and it just it feels like there's such a strong there's such a strong history behind it, and that that kind of respect for the land is kind of built into the sport. I mean, stone lifters will call you out if you're disrespecting the stones or if you're disrespecting the land in any way, shape, or form. Like, it's very, very common practice to see, especially on social media, people getting called out for essentially malpractice of stone lifting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, that's awesome. So when you are, like, super sore, but you're still on and train, like, what are your go-to recovery strategies? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest one is, um, is cold plunging. Yeah. Um, which I, I love it. Um, I've just barely been able to convince other people to try it with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I st- I've been cold plunging for about a year. Okay. Um, and it mainly started as kind of a mental health thing, mm. just kind of pushing myself and then realizing the physical benefits behind it. Um, I don't do it as often as I used to. Oh, I'm probably down to like two or three times a week now. Okay. Um, where I, whereas I was doing it every day. Uh-huh. Um, I would wake up super early, you know, cold plunge, go to work, so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, but now it's more of just doing it when I feel like I need it. Sure. Um, and that's super beneficial for my large muscle groups, like my legs. I, I destroy oh, yeah. the crap out of my legs at the gym all sure. the time. It helps, you know, increase the blood flow. Mm-hmm. And I am usually feeling pretty bulletproof the next day yeah. after doing the cold plunge. How cold and how long? Um, as of right now, I'm kind of just sticking in the, like anywhere from 55 to 45 degrees. Sure. That's, um, that's cold. And I kind of <laughs> stick to that. If it's, if it's in the fifties, I'll stay in for about 15 minutes. Okay. When it gets lower temps, 10 or sub 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I are one month into doing it like every okay. day. So we're like newbies yeah. in, in the like daily cold plunge. But yeah, I, amazing i feel like in terms of how much more you can train how much less sore you feel and recover from workouts and like the mental health side of it it's like you just feel really good yeah that's great yeah (laughs) like ready a little espresso shot for the day like let's go right (laughs) um but yeah we're it's like also the summertime at the time of this recording and it's like super hot out so yeah um i'm sure our grit will be tested when it gets really cold yeah it it starts it starts getting a little different when it gets cold (laughs) for sure that's awesome though you've been doing it for a year though and like that's just kind of part of your main recovery routine now yeah um that's like that's the biggest thing and then a a lot of the you know my other stuff is just you know intense stretching um i roll out like crazy especially like my lower back that's kind of a weak point for me and then um, i usually i'll go into the gym and kind of just do some like light kettlebell work just to get some more stability and mobility work in. Um, Kettlebells are great for that. I love it. It's so much fun. That feels, that helps me recover pretty quickly. Um, plus, it's kind of a cardio element, if you if you want to call it that, especially doing like sure. heavier kettlebell swings, yeah. all that stuff. 
Definitely. Good for, like, just powering up your hips and glutes. Yeah. And practicing that, like, good hip thrust. Yeah, exactly. It gets the heart rate up a bit more than regular lifting does. Yeah, which um, I'm sure stones, I would imagine, like, get your heart rate up pretty yeah. pretty high just because you're using your entire body. Yeah, and it's it's very difficult to slow the heart rate, recover the breath, especially when, like, you, if you have a 200-plus pound stone on your chest, there's no way you're taking a full capacity breath. Oh, yeah. I didn't um, think about that. But. So, but like between altitude and like the weight on the chest itself is just, you feel exhausted by the time you're done. Yeah. So. Sounds like Colorado is like ready to be the world leader in like stone lifting because we have the altitude. Yep. Whereas like Scotland is like basically sea level. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like we should be the destination for stone lifting. One of these days, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to look to you to help us with that. <laughs> Sweet. I look forward to it. So you are a mental health advocate. Um, if you're comfortable with it, I would love for you to just walk us through a little bit of what your mental health journey has looked like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I've kind of been, I've always been an anxious person. Like ever since I was a little kid, just overwhelmingly anxious about everything. Hmm. Was never comfortable in social situations as a kid, just felt you know, felt really insecure. You like, you usually find me in a corner somewhere where it was quiet. As I got into like my middle school years, I kind of was able to ignore that a lot, but it kind of, that kind of antisocial anxiety ridden behavior kind of surfaced again in high school. Mm. And I didn't really know how to handle myself with it. I just kind of stuffed it down, just always stuffed it down. And then my mental health journey really started in July of 2016. Mm. Kind of went through, that was a very stressful season of my life from like early June until, well, really like a, a full year of stress, really. We were in the process of moving our family business, um, kind of on late notice. Our landlord was not being very generous to us. Mm. Um, in that that kind of same time frame, my mom had a pretty major surgery that was just really stressful on the whole family. So I had kind of had like three weeks where I was just having, I'd have multiple panic attacks in a week. Hmm. And I had never had any panic attacks prior to that whatsoever. So when that was kind of, that was happening, I was like, this is like, I feel like I'm dying every time I have one of these. Um, And they'd last for hours on end. Wow. It got to the point where I had lost, I think in like three weeks, I had lost 15 pounds. Whoa. Um, I was all the way down to 132 pounds at six, one and a half. Yeah. Had like single digit body fat, just mm. like wasn't eating because I didn't have the appetite to eat. Um, so in July of 2016, I had a full blown mental breakdown mm. and that kind of, that led to, you know, becoming suicidal mm. and, uh, struggling with that. It just, it was, it went from being, yeah, just having anxiety to every single day was the most terrifying, terrifying day of my life. Wow. I would have, yeah, it was at that point it was, you know, between pushing against the suicidal thinking and having the panic attacks. It was just, I was having panic attacks every day. Yeah. Um, and I started seeing a psychologist and kind of, he helped me get some answers on a few things and uh, we started doing immediate like trauma therapy, Hmm. you know, therapy from what he described was comparable to, um, what combat veterans would eat would go through. Hmm. Um, and a lot of the same methods like, uh, EMDR, which is a very effective therapy method helped me a lot. Hmm. And I, I met with him for about a year and started feeling really good, worked through a lot of, um, some childhood traumas, Mm -hmm. 
a lot of really rough situations that I kind of put myself in throughout high school. Yeah, and just kind of working through that, um, I started feeling really good. So by this time, when I kind of graduated from seeing a psychologist, it was June of 2017. And I was like, I was on a high for the next year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, felt great. And then kind of a, a similar breakdown event kind of happened and a lot of stuff just resurfaced and kind mm. of thrown back in that loop of um, depression, anxiety, suicidal thinking, all of that. Mm. And was able to work through it on my own with, you know, kind of the methods that I had, had learned um, through seeing a psychologist and um, had the support of my family and my friends. And, you know, that really, that helped boost my confidence, my confidence in myself and being able to kind of work through the difficult, you know, intrusive thinking. Yeah. And I was, I was feeling great for a good couple of years. And then, um, I think it was December of 2019, um, a lot of stuff started resurfacing again, but I was feeling okay. Mm -hmm. It felt manageable. We did a huge climbing trip out to Red Rocks in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. And it was a great trip. I did like my first V10 outside out there. Um, nice. Kind of was riding that high. Yeah. Um, I got back and then that's when, you know, COVID kind of hit. Yeah. Um, you know, the gyms kind of shut down mm -hmm. and I kind of found myself feeling very lost. Mm. Um, I had kind of placed my entire identity into, um, into being a climber. Mm -hmm. And then when that was kind of abruptly stripped away from me because I couldn't climb, mm -hmm. I had no idea what to do. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. So around June of 2020, um, you know, the gyms kind of started opening back up with some restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, the climbing gym opened up. I was psyched to get back in there. And I think I was there for two weeks and I was like, I hate this. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And again, just like more anxiety, more depression, more suicidal thinking just surfaced. Mm. And it was like, it got to the point, um, almost like 2016 breakdown status. Like it was just like peak levels of just terrible anxiety. I went from being, again, lost a crazy amount of weight in two months. I went from being um, 186 pounds to 159 pounds. Wow. Couldn't eat. Mm -hmm. Like just didn't even want to drink water because I just mm -hmm. felt like I couldn't hold it down because I was just so anxious all the time. Yeah. And that's when I kind of, I started seeing another counselor um, who um, I still see to this day. She's helped me immensely mm -hmm. work through even more of the kind of trauma elements and also um, has really helped me in realizing my identity isn't in isn't in the things I do so much of my mindset was like I am what I produce mm -hmm. whether that's in athletics whether that's music whether that's at work yeah um, that was so much of my mindset so kind of learning to separate my who I thought I was from those things and just being comfortable in my own skin mm. so ever since since I started meeting with her weekly I feel I feel great um, I've made a lot of progress yeah. And honestly, this year has been a huge year for me, hmm. kind of a big year of realizing my own strength and being comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. So, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because I have some close family members that have struggled with a lot mm -hmm. of similar things and it's, yeah, mental health's not a linear mm -hmm. type of thing. It's not like you 
you know, have this event and then all of a sudden you're better or you get on medication, all of a sudden you're Mm -hmm. better. It's like, it's a constant thing that you have to live with and that, um, you can, you know, do a lot of this, those things, like you were saying, the family support, the Mm -hmm. counseling, the therapy can be super helpful, but it's like, it's always there. And it's something that, um, doesn't just like poof, go away. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about it that way. Yeah. And that's, that was my opinion when I kind of started, when I started struggling, like in, when I started seeing a psychologist, I was like, Oh, we'll be able to fix this right up. Yeah. You know, and that was the perception I had of mental health. Um, and before that I was like very critical on about therapy and counseling and Mm -hmm. psychology and all that stuff. I just had a very critical outlook on it. Yeah. Um, which there's, there's something to be said about being kind of humbled in that way. Hmm. But that was my mindset when I kind of went into it. I was like, I'll just be able to fix this right up. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. A few months of therapy, I'll be good. Yeah. And it's very much so not the case, but it's also not hopeless. So Yeah. Yeah. I think something that I really love about our generation is that hopefully we're breaking up that stigma mm-hmm. of going to therapy because I've been through a therapy a lot off mm-hmm. and on throughout the years, and it's helped me so immensely in, yeah, being more comfortable in my own skin, understanding you know, what childhood was like, being able to relate to my siblings and have better relationships with them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, yeah, it was, like, totally a thing that was not okay, you yeah. know, or it wasn't seen as, like, oh, well, if you go to therapy, you're, like, really messed up and you something's wrong with you. Yeah. Versus, like, I think everyone could probably benefit from some therapy now and then. I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you're a man of faith. How mm-hmm. has this affected your spiritual journey or how would you say that's like interwoven with this for you? Yeah, man, it has been a rocky journey. Mm-hmm. Um, especially 2016, that initial breakdown, I was very close to losing my faith overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand how a loving God would allow me to suffer the way I had. Mm-hmm. And I think it really took a lot of, you know, pushing from both of my parents to just like stick with it, stick with faith and stick mm-hmm. with going to church. Um, I was serving at a church at the time and it was like, you know, half the time when I was serving, I was like, I don't even know if I believe half of what's being said. Yeah. Just because I felt so broken. Mm-hmm. So the first couple years were initially pretty up and down. Mm-hmm. I had moments of feeling very strong and secure in my faith and moments of feeling like it was non-existent. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I had some pretty intense spiritual encounters and over over the course of like nine months from G- uh, July of 2016 until really about January of 2017. And that's kind of, that was a massive like wave just up and down. Like I'd have like these experiences and I'd just feel like I was on a high, like mm-hmm. firm and secure. I knew what I believed. Yeah. And then it just tank. Mm-hmm. And that kind of continued for a good year or so. And I would say by the time late 2017 rolled around, pretty secure in my faith and started to take it seriously rather than it being kind of like the faith of my parents, taking it as my own. And I was baptized in September of 2016. Mm-hmm. So that was, for me, that's kind of, you know, with my, my worldview, that's kind of when I really entered into the faith. Um, and that's when I actually saw a very tangible change in my, in my personality and the way Mm. I was presenting myself and acting. And after that was kind of, that was kind of the seed that was planted to kind of bring me to where I'm at now. And, um, past couple of years, you know, 
like anything is rocky. Like yeah. any relationship is rocky. Yeah. You know? And I really started. Real. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, and I really started, I would say early last year, I really started diving into a lot of different prayer practices and mm. just analyzing the way that Jesus prayed, mm. analyzing the way that the early church fathers prayed, mm. kind of stepping into that kind of more historical mindset. Um, so in the church, I grew up in the, you know, non-denominational church, which there's not a lot of historical rooting there. Mm-hmm. It's like, I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge behind like, you know, early church prayer practices. I had yeah. honestly had no idea. I had, I didn't really know anything about like, you know, monks or anything like that and uh-huh. the prayer practices and all that. Cause it's just yeah. so foreign to me. Sure. Um, and I started really diving into that. Yeah. It just became like hooked, just obsessed. Mm-hmm. I started practicing a lot of those things and started seeing a, a tangible growth in my relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that became like a security blanket for me. Like, even if I was feeling kind of in a season of spiritual dryness, like those practices were the things that kind of pulled me back in. Yeah. Um, Anchored you. Yeah, exactly. And in August of last year, my family and I, we took a trip to uh, St. Augustine, Florida, um, which is the oldest city in America. Oh. But it's also the site of the first church parish in North America. Cool. um, Which I got to visit. It's really cool. There's a, a cathedral there that I visited and that just be that was like a very spiritually formative trip for me. Hmm. Kind of being able to just like tangibly ingest history and church history, hmm. you know, and walk on ground that was has been faithfully kept by by Christians for five hundred years. Yeah, I think that's like about the the oldest tradition you can find stateside. Mm-hmm. You know, about five hundred years, and yeah, that really became a formative place and uh, a formative trip for me, and kind of changed the way of the way I think about my faith and my spirituality and how I interact with it daily. Yeah. I think that's really cool to, I love hearing about people's different spiritual journeys and I think God speaks differently to different people Mm -hmm. and which is really cool. Like our, all of our relationships are really unique and like, I know for me being outside is like Mm -hmm. so important for that connection. And if I spend too much time inside, I like really start to feel distant from God's presence and like, I could be just in my own world. And then as soon as I can like go out for a hike, I'm like, oh, okay. Like God's presence is here. And, and yeah, I think I also like grew up in a non-denominational, like very evangelical Mm -hmm. church. And so, yeah, it was like, I didn't know about the common book of prayer or Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're just obsessed with a shiny new thing or new worship song or whatever it is that it kind of loses a lot of that rich history and like sacredness of the relationship, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I think, now we kind of go to a church that does include a lot of liturgy and okay. I, that was all new for me. It's yeah. like, you know, a thousand years old in some spots. And it's like really cool to be like, wow, people from the last several centuries have been praying the same prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, that was kind of the catalyst for me is this, the realization of like the spiritual heritage that we do have that seemed so absent in my, in my worldview. Mm-hmm. I went to midnight mass at a Catholic church with my mom okay. on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. That was just a completely like mind boggling experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is crazy. Uh-huh. Like, this feels so different from anything I've ever experienced. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of the way I, I, I hyper fixate on things. I was like, what's, what's the history behind all of this? And like, mm-hmm. The fact that the the mass has been being performed essentially the exact same for the past thousand plus years, I'm like, mm. that's wild to me. Yeah, it's like I 
like you said, like I look at the, our kind of non-denominational worldview and it is like the shiny new thing, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fog machines and lights and new worship songs. And it just, yeah. which has its place obviously, yeah. but I'm so traditionally minded, like historically minded mm. that the things that seem ancient and old are appealing to me. Hmm. And I guess maybe that's this why I lift stones. Yeah. It like kind of goes back to yeah, that. Yeah. It's kind of a full circle <laughs> thing is like, maybe, you know, that's just how, how I think and just kind of how I've structured my worldview is, yeah, it's, it's based in history and keeping tradition that's good and has tangible effects, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it's that firm foundation, that anchor we can return to yeah. versus like, oh, I built something new and like this is kind of crumbling yeah. because it's not built on anything. Whereas going back to the roots, finding that history mm-hmm. that is you know, rooting ourselves a little bit deeper, I think. Yeah, exactly. So if someone finds themselves struggling mental health wise, what's some guidance that you would give them? Mm -hmm. I'd say the first thing is be patient with yourself Hmm. and be kind to yourself. There is no, you know, as we discussed, there is no quick fix for mental health. It's, it's a, it's a battle really. Mm And being able to have good perspective and just be treat yourself kindly and be gentle with yourself mentally and realize that there is no, I'm going to get 100% better tomorrow. It's mm. how can I get 1% better today? Yeah. Frame your mind with the perspective of how can I get better today? Mm. Not tomorrow. Don't dwell on yesterday, but mm. what can I do today that will help. Hmm. The next thing I would say is find a mentor, find, um, you know, have a good support system, Hmm. you know, whether if you can afford a counselor, go see a counselor. Um, if you can't, a lot of times pastors and priests will meet for, for free Mm -hmm. and they do it without, you know, if you're not, if you're not Christian, they do it without pushing, Mm -hmm. um, the Christian faith on you. They're Mm -hmm. there to help. I know there's a lot of churches that have, um, counselors in house mm-hmm. for for that very purpose of people who can't afford mm-hmm. counseling services because it can be expensive. Mm-hmm. Find yeah, find somebody to talk to, find somebody that can help you process. And I would say the last thing, and this is something that really helped me see a lot of tangible progress very quickly. And this was recommended by my my counselor is at the end of the day, pull out your journal and write down ten things you're thankful for that happened mm-hmm. in that day. And the challenge is don't repeat multiple things each day. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's like I, you know, talk to a friend today. Mm. Don't repeat that the next day. It becomes very difficult to kind of, it, it becomes like it's its own difficulty, but in a good way of I have to really search and I have yeah. to really kind of dive into myself and also dissect my day and see like, okay, what things were good, even if it's something mm. tiny like I got my favorite drink from the gas station. Like yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. Or, you know, I woke up and saw the sunrise mm. or whatever it is, mm-hmm. just finding 10 things to be thankful for. Do that every day for 30 days. And I can guarantee your mindset will be different. Yeah. And then um, you're probably searching for those things throughout the day. Cause you're like, I know I'm going to have to write yeah. down 10 things today yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't have 10 things the first time you do it, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Sure. Maybe, maybe take it, you know, five things at a time. And if, you have more, write those down. That was something that really kind of changed the game of looking to be grateful 
and just like having gratitude mm-hmm. and kind of reframing the mind to be positive rather than negative. Yeah, that's super awesome. It seems like you're carrying a lot of that inspiration into your music. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear just a little bit about what music looks like for you yeah. and what that holds in store. Yeah, I do. I, I do carry a lot of that into into my music and music has kind of become my journal. Mm. I know it probably sounds super cliche, but there's there's no better release for me than writing down what's been bothering me and being like, that could turn into a song. Hmm. And that kind of that actually became like a very big coping mechanism for you know my mental health in general. And yeah, that was that was one thing that I could always focus on was writing and um, kind of developing new sounds and just kind of letting myself create without any pressure. Hmm. So that's that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from is just being able to process what's going on in my life, what's going on in my mind, and also just like just having fun with it. And, you know, I have songs that sound like they're about people, but they're really just about looking at trees, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just kind of being able to create these, like, these short stories hmm. for myself and being able to share it with people. Um, so that's kind of the inspiration behind a lot of my music. But yeah, I would like to kind of step into more of a role musically Hmm. when it comes to like my career Mm -hmm. that's kind of always been the goal music has been one of the most life-giving things in my life yeah I would really like to kind of figure out how to do music full-time I used to play shows around town all the time yeah um you know when I was in high school just past high school COVID kind of shut that down so yeah yeah the kind of future of my music is very it's bright yeah. I'm excited. I'm producing a lot of stuff right now. I'm going to be releasing a couple of songs in the next few months. And yeah, I'd like to just really step into that more um, and kind of see what that has in store. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it seems like from everything you you approach, like stone lifting, spirituality, you know, your music, it seems like you have a lot of joy in it right mm-hmm. now. And it's like, it seems like it's coming really naturally yeah. and that you're you have goals, but you're not like forcing them. And like, there's not this like internal pressure to be like, I have mm-hmm. to do this. And it, maybe it is kind of back to that piece of like, Oh, this is not my identity mm-hmm. anymore. Like this is part of like what I like doing, but it doesn't like define who I am as a person. And so it yeah. seems like you're at least from the outside, it seems like you're having a lot of joy in it. Cause you can just like be a little bit looser with it and really be mindful and enjoy like the process. Yeah. It's, it has been a lot of fun and I've been experiencing a lot of joy through just pushing myself, pushing myself in a healthy way because yeah. I wasn't before. Yeah. I, I get so enveloped in the things I do um, that it's hard to not find joy in them. Um, I'm a all or nothing type person. So <laughs> if it's stone lifting, I'm all in. Yeah. You know, if it's music, I'm all in. You know, my new obsession is mountain biking. If it's mountain biking, okay. I'm all in, which I've wrecked a few times. It's not been fun, but yeah. hey, may- maybe not so all in on that one. Um, but yeah, it's, and I find a great deal of joy through just putting everything that I have into something, whether that's, you know, like you said, whether it's my faith, whether it's stone lifting or music, it's just, I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to experience the fullness of those things unrestricted. Um, so, and that just brings me a a great deal of joy being able to do that. That's awesome. Where can people find your music and follow your stone lifting? Yeah. So, uh, my music is on 
all streaming platforms. You can find me on Spotify um, and Apple Music under Jacob Pace. And then Stonelifting, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Peacemaker Stonelifting. Which I love that handle, by the way. <laughs> it's actually that's actually what my last name means. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, I had no idea. That's cool. Yeah. So it kind of that kind of stuck out to me was this is a very cheesy quote because it's used quite a bit in the, the fitness community but there's a latin quote um, it translates to if you want peace prepare for war and that's my mindset behind mental health lifting all of it it's like if i want to make tangible progress like i have to prepare i have to build the armor all of that so i between kind of those two things like my the meaning of my last name and then that i was like that's seems awesome. fitting so. yeah <laughs> peacemaker stone lifting yep. cool you can also find my music on instagram it's just at jacob pace music yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jacob, so much for sharing your story. Super inspiring. I maybe will hopefully lift a stone with you someday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if you see a random guy on a trail in Colorado, it might be Jacob yep. lifting a big stone. That's so. me. <laughs> thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, friends, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to this podcast and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, friends. Bye.